Well, good morning, everyone. So good to be back with you again this morning. This is starting to feel like home away from home. <laughs> but Shirley and I have always enjoyed uh, being with you. You're, you're such a responsive church family, and we've just loved being a, a part of the ministry here over the years. I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but uh, the relationship that we've kind of developed has been, uh, I think it's over six and a half years that uh, we, we've been pleased to be here with you uh, once in a while. But uh, what you have come here this morning to do is to worship the Lord God and also to hear from Him. And I pray that your hearts would be open this morning um, as we turn to the Word. I'm going to ask you, if you would, please, to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. This morning, we come to the third and final part of in our series, Keys to Standing Firm in the Faith. And I, I think at this point from our studies, you can all see Peter's heart and how encouraging he was to Christians in his day who were under spiritual, emotional, uh, and even physical uh, distress. It is very encouraging to us in many ways as well because God's word is the truth. And as we all know, truth doesn't change. And so God's word is good for us, no matter when we turn to it. And uh, we thank him for that. Peter's method of encouragement involved presenting uh, in this text the benefits of God's salvation plan in as big a picture as he could. Big as picture as, as possible. In verses 3 to 5 in chapter 1. He focused on every Christian's hope for the future, that living hope, the certain assurance of an inheritance that is reserved in heaven for us, and the truth that we are protected by the power of God through faith for that blessing. Second, in verses 6 to 9, Peter explained that hope as something that practically manifests itself in the daily life of a believer, and it's with that abiding sense of joy, which is a result of that hope. Unlike, as we mentioned uh, previously, unlike situational happiness, Christian joy is permanent, it's permeating, and, uh, and it's a sense of contentment regardless of the circumstances. Why? Because we have been told uh, by this apostle that our eternal future is secure in the hands of our Creator. Isn't that exciting? So the key word uh, for part one is hope, and the key word for part, to part two is what that hope brings, and that is joy. The key word for part three the focus of our text this morning and our discussion is confidence. Peter's intention in, in this part is to look, take a look backward in time and reveal the historical, salva uh, historical foundations that led us to where we are today. His point in these final three verses that we studied this morning is that 
God has marshaled all of the supernatural forces in history in order to bring us to that one thing that we need most today, and that is confidence that His grace is sufficient to sustain all of our hope and all of our joy. We focus on that word grace. Why? Because grace reassures us of His presence with us and in us when we have doubt. We turn to grace. It strengthens us when we are weak. It comforts us when we need that rock to stand on. Grace embraces us with His love when we feel unloved and rejected. Grace fills us with His joy when we can't find it on our own. And it testifies that God is real, His Word is true, and our inheritance of eternal life is imperishable, as we studied, undefiled, won't fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for us. Oh, my friends, grace affirms that we are always protected by His power, uh, reserved for us in heaven, and it's through faith for an, that inheritance that is ready to be revealed in the last day. Isn't this exciting? That's why I love Peter's heart, and I love the expressions that he uses. I just love his writing. And watch now, as Peter brings grace into the salvation equation, as we read our passage this morning. If you will follow with me, I'm using the New American Standard, and I, um, it'll be very close to, I'm, I'm sure, the, um, the one that you currently use. But beginning in chapter 1, verse 10, follow with me, please. And again, I want to mention, watch for how Peter uses this word grace in this salvation uh, paradigm. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. In those things which now have been announced to you through, uh, through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. A very long time ago, by the providence of God, some unique and important people were searching for a better understanding of God's salvation plan. The passage that we just read tells us who was searching, verse 10, what they were searching for in verse 11, and what they discovered in verse 12. What they discovered was everything that, that God has done in history since the fall of man is directed to one primary purpose, and that is restoration or reconciliation for you and me, people who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. My friends, that single truth is completely sufficient to secure our joy at the highest level. Let's look a little bit deeper, and we'll do that by asking three questions. Question number one, who is searching? Verse 10, 
prophets were messengers of God. They stood between God and the people and they took his message to them and their responses back to God. They were men and women particularly chosen by God and given extraordinary spiritual and moral insight to speak for him and to, ex to explain how to cooperate with this plan of salvation that he has so richly given to us. There are dozens of prophets in the Bible. The ones Peter is referring to here are those um, who, uh, who spe specifically, as we read, predicted the sufferings of Christ. And, and that, that, that we read that in Isaiah when he referred uh, to the suffering servant of Isaiah 52 and 53. And also those who predicted the two, the glories to follow his suffering in the return of Christ told in, uh, for instance, Zechariah 14, verse 4, and, I, and Isaiah 11. The prophets saw those two predictions, the sufferings of Christ, the glories to follow, like two mountain peaks far off in the distance. You can even name them. Calvary was the closer one. Uh, it's, the, it's the mount of Christ's suffering. It's the place where he hung on the cross to bring salvation, the offer of salvation to you and me and to the whole world. Olivet is the furthest mountain, the mount of Christ's return in power and glory. And there are references to these two predictions all through the Old Testament in the law and the types and the Psalms, like in Psalm 22, and in the writings of all of the major uh, prophets and the minor prophets. That picture of the sufferings of Christ as a, as a mountain nearer to them, and then the glories of Christ to follow that, which is a little further out. The prophets also knew something else. They knew that God saves by grace. Zechariah predicted that when he said that there will be a time, people will shout. They won't just speak. They will shout, grace, grace. I don't want to shout too loud when people may call. But they were, they were so excited about this word grace. They see, grace comes to us, or salvation comes to us through grace, and only through grace, and in the Old Testament, as well as in the New Testament. Zechariah prophesied of this grace, but we also know that Paul talked about it in Ephesians 2.8. By grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. So grace is something that they knew, and it's operational in both the Old and New Testament. So they, the, the prophets, to summarize a little bit here, salvation is by God's grace, the sufferings of Christ, and the future glory of Christ. And so we stop now, we say, okay, so that's who was searching. What were they searching for? That's question number two. You see, what the, what the prophets did not see in their search for a better understanding of God's plan of salvation is what was between those two mountain peaks, is what was between them. You see, they couldn't see down into the valley between the peaks of Calvary, the cross, and Olivet, his return in glory to establish his kingdom. And, and my church friends, I want to tell you, it was in that valley 
that the operation of grace leading to the salvation of the Jews and the Gentiles alike takes place. That is known as the age of grace or the age of the church. It's where we are today. And that detail was withheld from the understanding of the prophets until the New Testament times. The Apostle Paul revealed that when he said in Ephesians 3, understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. And he says this, he qualifies it, which in other generations, indicating the generations of the prophets, was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which he said, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. There it is. Everything becomes so crystal clear to the Bible reader after the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus, after the sinless life, after the sacrificial death of the Son of God, and after his resurrection, after those comes the awareness that all men are sinners separated from his creator, but also the truth that all men... and get that, women, everybody could be reconciled to God's grace through the death of the, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is that exciting? All men. So we know who was searching. We know what they were searching for. Third question. And this comes despite the fact that the prophets were not made aware of how it all fit together. But we understand that they were not left entirely empty-handed. They dis- did discover something. <laughs> I, th- this just excites me so much. So everything about the Word of God excites me. Every time I get through a passage, and this is a little sidebar here, every time I get into a passage and I, I start sensing the power of God's Word, and it just starts to fill me and flows out, and, and it just makes everything different. It just takes off. And I pray that this morning that the power of God's word would do the same to you because what they did discover was, and this is in verse 12, look look, look with me to it. It was revealed, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but who? You and me. They were serving you and me. That was made, they were made aware of that. Back to verse 12. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels longed to look. Oh my goodness. This, is, this brings it so home and gives me so much confidence It was revealed to them that they're serving you and me. Maybe the prophets didn't have all the answers, but they knew one thing. And this speaks to the enormity of God's salvation plan. They knew 
that even though they didn't know everything, they were part of this enormous plan that God was unfolding and that God was directing toward a future group of people, us. That transcends all those hundreds and thousands of years between the prophets and us. People today we call Christians. People whose hearts are like Lydia's heart in the book of Acts, open like a flower to God's grace. People who believe the gospel, people who repent from their sins, receive Jesus Christ as Savior and experience the joy of the new birth and all of the securities that follow it. God brought those prophets to realize that what they were doing was not for their benefit, but for yours and mine today. Peter said it was revealed to them they were not serving themselves, but you. The truth about the church was a mystery in the Old Testament days. A biblical mystery is something which is held secret for a time, but it is later revealed. That's a biblical mystery. Even the angels did not know the connection that we now know by the revelation of the Word of God. All of this was superintended by the Holy Spirit that was sent from heaven, Peter said. And now the question is why? Why? Why is it important for us to know all this information about what God did and what he did not reveal to the prophets and the angels in past revelation? Why is that important? Well, the answer to that question is tied up in the very reason we have carefully been studying this entire section of 1 Peter. The focus of this entire introductory passage of Peter's letter that we've been talking about, all three parts, the overriding theme of all that we have studied through this series is this. Since the fall of man thousands of years ago, God has carefully, thoughtfully, and lovingly been implementing his eternal plan to save some with whom he can enjoy fellowship forever and who can enjoy his fellowship forever. Intimacy, connection, loving God because he first loved us at the cross. Is that thrilling? This plan and the people in it were ordained before the creation of the world through foreordination, predestination, and election, all biblical words. This plan began in earnest with the Holy Spirit's calling and regeneration leading to conversion of those who would believe in the gospel. This plan also testifies to the existence and the power of God in the world and the life of every true believer. A life saturated with, as we studied, living hope for an imperishable inheritance that is completely protected by the power of God. A life that is characterized by extreme joy, a joy that is powerful enough to overcome every adversity presented by the flesh, by the world, and by the devil. Friends, this is a joy that displays faith to the world like a magnet, drawing people to its author by its power and by its beauty and by its purity. And all that while it unceasingly gives praise and honor and glory to Christ who made it all possible for you and me. It's a life that perseveres all the way to the eternal state, which is the actual ultimate purpose of God's plan in the beginning. Sweet, intimate fellowship with Him 
forever. So the question I guess would be appropriate is, I apply this to myself as well as you. How are you living today? How are you putting feet on this, that we would say? Is your life saturated with living hope? That hope for an imperishable future protected by the power of God's love? Is your life characterized by joy and confidence? Is, are our li is it a joy that refuses to let any adversity rob it of its nature and value? God gave it. Christ paid for it. The inerrant word guarantees it. What are we doing with it? It's a good question. It's a good question because Christian joy is not negotiable. Oh, we all know there are times when it is sorely tested. It is sorely tested, and, and it should be those times, that testing that we experience um, are those times when, when that testing is brought on by things that are antagonistic to God's wonderful and perfect will. Uh, that's, a, that's a sore test. Let it be those times when we are not in His will so that we can return to it. Let it be those times when we have tried our best and not succeeded, causing us to grow in humility and grace and an utter dependence upon God during those times. Let it be those times when we know that we have displeased God because we have put on the garments of self-consciousness instead of Christ-consciousness. Those should be the sore tests. Let it be those times when we see people walk away from the gospel rejecting the saving faith that has been so richly given and gives us such hope and the root cause of our unceasing joy. But may it never be that we would ever lose our joy. That soul deep contentment that comes from knowing that our future is secure no matter how hard life gets, how sinful the world becomes, or how challenged we become in our circumstances. Let our joy be that which flows out from a heart that is compliant to the will of God. Let our joy come from the worship and the unity that we have with God and with His people, the church. Let our joy come from the confidence that we have in Christ and God's promise. What? That he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day Christ comes again. Amen? Rejoice in the God of your salvation. May God cause us all to say, just like Paul articulated in Philippians 2, if there is any encouragement in Christ... If there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship in the Spirit, if there's any affection, any compassion, he said, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, that we might work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who is at work in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
The Apostle John said in 1 John 1.4, These things have been written so that our joy might be made complete. So hope for the future, joy for the present, confidence from the past. These are the keys for standing firm in the faith. May you find them sufficient as they implant and as they sustain a triumphal, triumphant spirit in you. A spirit that fills your heart with, with his peace and his strength and his grace, his love. And may it result in praise and glory and honor to God from all of his people forever. Amen? Amen. Well, our Father, we pray that this morning the power of your word as, as written would permeate our hearts, would strengthen us, would cause us to see clearly that this great plan of salvation has come down to us through the ages and in such a, um, such a powerful part. And we ask, Lord, as we, as we see the breadth and the depth, the height of your love for us and how that plan worked its way all through the years for our benefit and for your glory. Help us, Lord, to be strengthened by it, to be made joyful by it, and to know that all praise goes to Jesus because he purchased it at the cross. We thank you for this encouraging word, and we ask that uh, it would be caught up in our worship that follows. In Jesus' name, amen.